0: And welcome to Urbanus podcast, Donatos Urbana's as always and welcome to our kind of Christmas edition. This is the last episode before the Christmas.
1: Yeah, not the
0: last one before the new
1: year. No, because
0: next week uh, we will try to do something about uh, the first half of the regular season. Yeah, We will give some awards, we will say some bad stuff about some bad players or teams just to make it more entertaining. But this time... Uh, we will discuss things we were dead wrong about and also we have two teams to discuss in depth uh, one struggling says Mosko, and one is finally on a winning path it's Fenerbahce but before that there are some things we have to discuss and for sure we have to uh, get to know how the Christmas table looks like in Rytis Vysnavskas house <laughs> household
1: <laughs> the Christmas table um well, on Christmas Eve, uh, for me, it's all about... Uh, I don't know if it's the correct uh, wording I'm I'm, I'm I'm using here, but
0: dumplings with okay. mushrooms, right? It's, it's kind of traditional. I, I have a feeling that Russians will understand us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. rest of Europe, <laughs> not. And they will Google um, about some stuff. So
1: I have my own personal record when... I was a teenager, and on Christmas Eve, I ate, like, as far as I remember, 41 of those.
0: 41. They're quite they big. They are big? Okay. They're,
1: like, that size. and 41. Uh, I had problems, obviously, <laughs> the day after <laughs> with my stomach, but it's really the
0: only thing that uh, I'm looking forward to on the,
1: on the, on the Christmas table. But what were you
0: feeling being on the way of... Having the 41st, uh, I was just dumpling. enjoying because you h- kind of <laughs> can get a, you know, understand that something wrong might happen. Yeah, man, it's like in, in the bar in the heat take of the, the moment. Tenth, uh, bottle of beer, you know, that tomorrow is gonna be hard for you.
1: If you're drinking 10th bottle of beer, you're not thinking about tomorrow, you're just enjoying, yeah. yeah so, that's the same with dumplings. Um, I was just <laughs> enjoying myself and I was having a good time. They are very tasty and. I just couldn't help myself. As many as there were on the table, I, I, w- I was putting them on, m- on my plate. Were there any
0: other dishes? Because short uh, sure.
1: Latouanian we have to eat at least 12 dishes. Man, I, I don't taste 12 dishes. Okay. They, I believe the tradition says that there has to be 12 dishes on ah, the table. It okay. doesn't necessarily mean you have to taste all of those. Mm. So I really, I really don't like herring, to be honest. I really not, I'm really not a big fan of fish. Mm-hmm. So since mm-hmm. there is no meat on the Christmas Eve table, I'm going with mushrooms.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and dumplings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man.
1: So that's one thing. And the other sh- thing is on the first day of Christmas, obviously. So on the first day of Christmas, usually uh, we bake something like a cake, obviously, and you have something like... Duck or a chicken, and uh, then I have to be honest on on Christmas Day for me. When I was not working, these days I'm working on Christmas, so it it doesn't really matter. But
0: usually, it's all about the drinking. Yeah, <laughs> let's be let's be real. That's the part of the <laughs> tradition here in Lithuania. Yeah, 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 you know what should be weird for our Turkish or Spanish uh, listeners. Uh, I don't see anywhere else that dish which we could translate to herring in a bedding or a bedclothes yeah yeah that yeah, would yeah, be yeah. correct I, translation I don't, I don't like that no,
1: it's terrible i'm not i a it's fan terrible of it. dish well it's not necessarily terrible it depends
0: on how you prepare it but just like i said i don't see any way how you could prepare good tasty herring in bedding let's say well
1: unless, unless it is fresh fish But usually it's the fish you get from the supermarket and it's not very good. So for some reason, people think that this is necessary. You cannot replace it with anything else. But but okay, if it works for people, it works. And uh, of course, Russian salad. So Russian people would understand this definitely. Russian salad, Olivier, as it is called, it has to be on the table every single Christmas. What is Russian salad? Russian salad, Olivier. Come on, in Lithuania we would say like
0: ah, Baltanushrine. White? How to call it?
1: <laughs> no, it, it is called Olivier ah, or okay. Russian Russian ah, salad. No, it's, it's a must. It's a must, sure, and, sure. and, and and I enjoy it a lot. Uh, we prepare it
0: with uh, with my girlfriend.
1: A, a huge bowl mm. of Russian oh, salad. Oh, you still
0: have it. Of course, because I I had it only when I was visiting my parents. No, 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 man! No, man, we, we prepare it because and I, I try to break this rule now in my own house. I mean, no, no, that old school stuff on the table. <laughs> and no. I just cannot handle we it. We
1: prepare a huge bowl,
0: so it is my breakfast meal,
1: dinner meal for the upcoming four days. Okay, <laughs> that's yeah, how that's it goes. How it goes in but Christmas, yeah. As I said. Um, these days, my Christmas traditions are kind of different because in the past I would be um, enjoying NBA basketball with a drink. Now I have to work.
0: So there's no drinking for me. It, it might sound bad that you have to work on Christmas night, but we just discussed before the podcast that in Estonia, there are some commentators who have six games in a row, but that's a lot of money. Um,
1: Yeah, my Estonian colleague... He covers all of the games that are happening that night. Six games, so, so right? So this Christmas, if there will be no postponements, there will be, I will check, five NBA games um, okay. consecutive. For me, it's only three or two. I think this time it will be three games because the midnight game of Suns against the Warriors is really something to look forward mm. to but as i said right now it's kind of difficult with the nba you don't know if any ga- if some of these ah. games will be postponed obviously another thing is that it's it's christmas day basketball you're l- expecting to see the biggest stars shining on the court at the moment it seems like let's say lakers and nets might be facing each other with absolute role players because mm-hmm. of the COVID-19 protocol. So I'm, I'm not sure how it's going to go this year. But for example, last year and the year before, for me, it was like this. Um, I wake up, I have breakfast. I, uh, we exchange gifts with, with my girlfriend. Uh, then I go to visit my mom and my dad, my brother. We exchange gifts there also. I have a meal and then I... And then I leave because at 7 p.m. Lithuanian time, there's the first game of the NBA basketball. So, yeah, this is Christmas for me. And since you're, I know... And I'm sorry, second day of Christmas is Boxing Day in England. So, it's oh. a huge pile of English Premier League matches uh-huh. that start from 2.30 and go and up until, I, I would say, 9
0: p.m. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, that's going to be a tough, intense weekend, but <laughs> it's not what tough. do you prefer? I know that you're a sports freak, so do you prefer good, solid Christmas night games, commentating Christmas night games, or do you prefer enjoying time in in the Vilnius streets and in, in bars of Vilnius streets? Um,
1: going to bars, it's kind of, I, I kind of past that phase. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm not really a big fan of it so anymore. So now you're drinking in front of TV,
0: drinking yeah, yeah, yeah. and watching games. at home. That's a
1: great mix. Maybe have some guests, uh-huh. but uh, but hmm. just being at home. Um, I do prefer that, of course, because uh, you want to relax and uh-huh. you want to enjoy spending your time with your closest people, but um, at the same time, it's kind of exciting that you have the ability to be the one who covers these games for Lithuanian people for Lithuanian audience because i believe there are not maybe not so many but there are people who
0: enjoy nba basketball on christmas so or at least i remember uh, you can enjoy some basketball but at the same time you can sit uh on, you know near the table to have some drinks to yeah, talk yeah. with uh, people with your family members but at the same time you, you can have an nba game on your screen so
1: uh, i i could say i'm privileged to be the voice of those games mm. it's an honor Maybe in, in, in some ways you could say it's an achievement because you reach that level in your career when you're getting the NBA Christmas basketball. Uh, of course, like I said, I mean, sometimes you feel that that's a pity because you cannot spend the biggest holidays of the year mm. with, with your loved ones because you have to work. But we, I have the New Year's Eve. On New Year's Eve, we don't cover NBA mm. games it, there are games that night, but they are with English feed, so
0: I make up for it uh-huh. during the New Year's Eve. We have. Uh, I don't have any special story for my Christmas holiday because my parents left uh, to the United States to visit my sister. Uh, so we will celebrate Christmas in a very close circle of me, and my wife, uh, baby, of course, and uh, my wife's uh, family. They're going to visit us uh, during the weekend. But we had a um, kind of a nice and entertaining Christmas party with Basket News uh, crew last Sunday. And we visited the Basketball Museum, which is in Jonishkis in a really, really small uh, town of Lithuania, which is like two and a half hours away from Kaunas from Vilnius is the same. And even though though I I knew about this museum for many years, I was invited to visit it. But since it's in a very complicated uh, destination uh, of Lithuania, I didn't do that. But now it was a good reason to go over there. We had a nice huge bus for like 45 people. Party bus? vip bus oh, let's say it okay. was it wasn't party but it but for us we made it kind of a party bus because usually i hate uh, bus rides especially when it takes uh, from two to three hours oh uh, yeah buses yeah. are worse for me i'm a train person myself. oh train are the best so my only wish that we're gonna we, we should have uh, better let's say uh, facilities for trains lithuania Uh, But anyway, it was a nice uh, trip because you have 12 of your colleagues. You can discuss basketball to share jokes, to share some uh, drinks. So that uh, journey didn't take a lot of time. But the whole museum experience was crazy because the guide who owns uh, that museum, who created it, is kind of unique one because he jumps from one fact to another. And... uh, A lot of stuff was from Lithuanian basketball history, from Russian, because we are kind of, you know, ex-Soviet Union country. Uh, So I I tried to find something for our international listeners and (laughs) there was a story with Yao Ming's shoe, or supposedly, uh, at least that guide of uh, the owner of museum thinks that it was Yao Ming's shoe because he told that he found that shoe in one of Lithuanian second-hand shops, maybe even Joniški's second-hand shop, <laughs> and he told that and he has it as a you know as a real um, stuff in his museum, and he tells, uh, uh, told told everybody that it's Yao Ming shoe. How does he know that? <laughs> because it's red and it's big. And um, we why why not Yi Jianlian's shoe? Why why, is, why does it have to be Yao? I don't know because <laughs> it's big. Because uh, he said that it's like uh, the size of that shoe was uh, 56 or something like that. European size 56. Yeah. So I don't know. We we didn't go deep with the explanation because (laughs) some other things in that museum were also questionable like oh he had this hat before his death and it was very important hat for him And it's like you can have random hats and put it in your museum and create a story so but we just enjoyed the the flow enjoyed the ride of uh, all the experience and it was it was it was really nice because i for example i found a, a super league uh, media guide and uh, there was young Gergin Ataman. you can imagine him in 2000s he was all fresh so young Already chubby, uh, and he was presented as a, a very young, uh, uh, inspiring uh, coach. Jelko bradovich for example, uh, he started his days and his years in Panathinaikos, and there was a line saying, uh, if he was lucky or he was that good that he won all these Euroleague titles, the time only show. I mean, come on. Uh, Boris Dia was uh, still a young player, uh, prospect in Europe. Uh, John Robert uh, Holden, uh, Telindus player. There were some really good stuff. Zaza Pachulia, he played for uh, Ulker. I didn't know that, actually. I forgot that fact. So, it was a really, really good uh, Christmas uh, party idea. Nice. So, let's start with some EuroLeague stuff. Yeah, let's go to that. And uh, let's talk about the first postponement of the uh, season... Uh, Milan and Jalgris game uh, was suspended and officially just before our podcast is the first game of the EuroLeague season, which was postponed, which is good because we are late in December, but watching all these cases uh, coming up both in the NBA and EuroLeague, kind of worried that it might have an impact for some games, for some uh, performances. Um, What's funny that... uh, at least a couple of Zalgiris uh, fans, when I shared the news on, on Instagram, at least a couple of Zalgiris fans uh, replied that, thank God that it won't ruin our Christmas mood because they expected bad performance from Jargiris. Although I'm not so sure because Milan had enough of uh, problems. Uh, Shimon Shields uh, was out for months probably our pl- players are also injured so probably it was the time especially at playing at home when Jardeguer could have expected at least to have a close game with uh, Milan uh, at the current uh, situation and I al- also see Milan people being angry on Real Madrid probably because they played them last week and we saw them them having four COVID cases Coach Lasso Vincent Poirier Coser Ortel yeah uh, and it might be that probably they got this COVID uh, from that game and also that game cost uh, had a big cost because Shaman Shields was injured and we have to put this elephant out of our studio so was it a dirty play just like Malcolm Delaney uh, posted on Twitter saying that uh, it was obvious dirty play by Rudy Fernandez of course you think that 100%. was dirty play right? 100% why do you think like that? Well, come on. I mean, what do you expect
1: when you go under somebody like this? It's a dirty play. What, I mean, I'm not saying that Rudy Fernandez's intention is to hurt is to hurt Shevan Shields, but it's a dirty play. And professionals know that better than anybody. And if Malcolm Delaney is saying things, he knows it. So it's a dirty play, for sure, 100%. For me, it's an unsportsmanlike foul. Um, But these things happen everywhere in basketball. So you kind of know that Rudy Fernandez has the reputation of being a dirty player. Uh, Not necessarily in the recent years, but throughout his career, he had some moments, whether it's flopping, whether it's some situations where he tries to provoke somebody. Also, fouls like this. Uh, in the Spanish national team, we have seen a lot of examples of people going under. Mm. Others who are jumping. We had a moment, let's say, in a friendly game Lithuania, Spain, Marcus all going under Roberto Sjevtokas in the same manner. I mean, sometimes people get injured, sometimes not, but it's a dirty play for sure. I, mm. I completely well, agree with Malcolm. I'm a
0: bit shocked about your bold uh, statement on Wh- that. Why? Because for me, uh, when I watched the replay of that play, I didn't think that it was mm, clear there to play. I thought that the. Voron, uh, the worst part of that uh, play was the timing it, it seemed like uh, rudy fernandez was late with uh, taking that uh, block uh, and getting out of that zone you know to get the offensive foul call uh but he was just too late and he was he ran in shields too fast and probably that was the worst part but if n- not rudy fernandez was in that play I'm not so sure if we would discuss if that was dirty or not because I also talked with uh, referees with uh, players uh, with some players and they were they also thought that it was more of an unfortunate play rather than a clear dirty play and uh, I try to discuss first of all I'm not a fan of Rudy Fernandez I personally I don't know him personally, but I hate him as a player and as a personality because I think that he's uh, crying too much. I also thought that he's a dirty uh, dirty player. Uh, I didn't like his style, his body language, and probably it's also based on our Lithuanian national team losing uh, against Spain in important matches uh, all all those years. But I talked with people who know Rudy Fernandez, and we all know that he has that label of uh, dirty player, and they tried to convince me that uh, yes, uh, Rudy Fernandez is uh, know, uh, known for... You, you could find easily some some bad plays, and especially probably against, against the French national team with all the dirty plays, let's say. But it, they all told me that he's not going to play dirty unless he will be provoked by, by his opponents. Because naturally he's not dirty, but he's kind of sensitive in a way that he might be affected. So somebody... Um, should have started something against him for him to be dirty. I'm not talking about this specific play against Shaman uh, Shields, but in gen- general talking uh, about his past. And uh, I, I discussed this play with referee and he told me that it was close to an unsportsmanlike foul call, but um, he wouldn't call an unsportsmanlike foul at that uh, that play. And he also thinks that it was more unfortunate play than dirty play. Personally, I have nothing against Rudy Fernandez, and even I don't
1: have nothing against his style of mm. basketball. Uh, I don't care that Lithuania national team suffered because of him making shots or because of the Spanish team being that good. It doesn't hurt me at all. It doesn't bother me at mm. all. I respect Rudy Fernandez in his game. Uh, but, well, I see this episode and I'm thinking it's a dirty play. I cannot read his intentions. I don't know if, if it was on purpose mm. or not. Maybe it just sort of happened. It's very unfortunate that Shavon Shields got injured, but I understand the frustrations in Milan, 100%. And you know, Malcolm Delaney, he went out on Twitter to say that publicly, maybe you shouldn't call out your colleagues. I mean, you're still playing with Rudy Fernandez. you're in the same league, so
0: you're, your colleagues, you kind of have to respect each other, but... No, I, I love them being sincere. We miss that in the EuroLeague. We have Mike James, uh, we had Tyrese Rice, Malcolm Delaney is also pretty active on Twitter. So His Twitter now is private. Yeah. I
1: tried to follow him,
0: I couldn't. I, I <laughs> have him because probably I previously foul, uh, followed him, so yeah. maybe that helps. Maybe helped. he doesn't want... Uh, Broadcasters and journalists, yeah. following him and because after that when mm-hmm. Basket News made an article uh, mm-hmm. out of it, he was quite angry on that that his uh, opinion yeah. was uh, pu- went public.
1: But I agree with his opinion, and you know, uh, and it's not criticism for Rudy Fernandez for being w- who he is. I don't have any problems with that, but plays like this, they are dirty, in my opinion, and. Of course, I, I need to respect your opinion. You you talked with other people, and I know that there's other side to this. It's not mm. only black and white. Yeah, yeah. You can say that maybe it was very unfortunate, but you will not convince me that going under people is just some it's just dangerous. dangerous just some yeah. silly mistake you're doing. You, you're. I know you're playing against your opposition, and you want to win badly, and you want to do everything it
0: takes and it to, to win the last basketball of games. The game, yeah
1: but at the end of the day basketball professional basketball players they are colleagues and they, are, they sort of need to protect each other in some situations mm-hmm. and respect each other and protect each other in this case there was not a lot of respect and protection in my opinion
0: mm. yeah okay yeah bad luck for Milan i mean that injury might have huge consequences. He's, he's out Shaman for, for almost a couple of months, right? A fracture, yeah. He's uh, out for, yeah, at least a couple of months. And Messina told that they are not going on the market, which makes sense. Uh, they have to use the potential of Troy Daniels. They have Devon Hall, hole, uh, other players. It's a chance step for up. other players to yeah, de- Because yeah. they are deep with their roster. But the problem is that, again, Milan started the season good really well. But again, all these injuries showed up at a very bad uh, moment of the season, and it's especially bad that Shawan Shields got hurt because he's super important for Milan. He was a huge reason why he they made the final four last their year. Their most
1: consistent player this season. Yeah, it's he's not one
0: of the best small forwards in the tournament,
1: and he's playing a lot as a shooting guard. Actually, when when Messina goes with those yeah. bigger lineups, he's very good. He's very good on both ends of the court. Uh, his footwork is amazing. One of the best in, in the league, I would say. The way he is able to take those fadeaway jump shots, stopping off the dribble, it's it's a smart move. And uh, he's also a very good defender. So shavon Shields would be uh, an important part of any EuroLeague team. He's EuroLeague's Paul Pierce. Well, that's a nice comparison. Um, I would say his jump shot is smoother mm. Well, Pierce, when he was taking jump shots, they didn't actually look good. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was making them, but they looked kind of awkward. Uh-huh. For Siwan Shields, is more natural. I would say in the uh, last three years, he is the player that made a big progress, and maybe he's one of the most improved players in the recent years yeah. in the Euroleague because I Definitely. remember him being in Baskonia as a solid role player. Then he made a move to a bigger club. Um, that has ambitions to play in the Final Four every year. And he became a key player in this yeah. in this Milan team that has Delaney, Rodriguez, Hines, the Tallman, so many experienced, yeah, great veterans. Punter. Kevin Ponder was yeah. there last season, yeah. So it's a big loss for, for Milan, surely, but it, as I said, it's a chance for some other players to step up. Now they also have to deal with COVID situation. Yeah. And uh, actually, this postponement... It had to happen sooner or later, Mm. because uh, if you're following um, not only the NBA, what happens in America, but also, let's say, European football, postponements are now becoming a routine, especially in England. So it would be naive to think that EuroLeague is somewhere isolated Mm. and has nothing to do with what happens in football in other countries. So, yeah, we have the first postponement. I just hope it's not the first of many. Mm. But I I believe there will be some... Because
0: COVID is spreading. That it is what it is. Yeah, so let's talk about Fenerbahce, right? They went right. Uh, on a four-game winning streak. Uh, previously, they lost uh, seven of uh, eight. Uh, but now they are winning and they beat uh, some pretty solid teams, uh, like Maccabi, uh, like uh, Zenit, Wales was on their winning streak.
1: They trashed Basconia in the last game, game. um, and they also had a good offensive performance against Monaco. Yeah, so the
0: question is, is it nothing, is it something, or is it everything? I would say that it's
1: just logical and it makes sense that they are finally winning games because we... We talked a lot about them losing some games in the last seconds. So you saw the quality, it's there. They were always close. the Colo, maybe he had a rough start of the season because of the Olympics, but now he's playing at the MVP level. He's dominating games, and he's uh, once again playing his pick and rolls with Jan Vesely and doing everything else for, for the team. So um, it's not shocking that they're finally winning games. Fenerbahce is definitely playoff material. However, we talked that um, the strategy there uh, that uh, Mr. Gherardini is, is is doing to invest money into key players and then the bench suffers and your depth is yeah. not as, as good as other teams like Anadolu Efes, for example. You're not as deep as them. So now they're facing some problems because of injuries uh, with, with their bigs. Uh, Devin Booker, uh, he got hurt playing against Baskonia. He played in the first two quarters. He didn't come back for for the second half. Ahmed Duvirioglu is out. So you can really become shorthanded. And of course, when your key players are forced to play like 36 minutes, as Jan Vesely, uh, the season is very long. So you might suffer some consequences. Uh, but in terms of winning games and playing good basketball, I always had a feeling that this team with Sasha Georgievich and with experienced guys and even with Pierre Henry who started playing really good recently that they have the potential to win games and to be in the playoffs which i believe
0: they belong mm-hmm. They are. Yes. They have to be in the playoffs, in my opinion, with this roster. In my eyes, the main difference was that they just finally made some shots because their numbers increased uh, singli- uh, significantly, for, for example, from round 13 to 16. And, you know, we always discuss the problem for Fenerbahce that they don't have enough uh, shooters, they have problems with spacing, and uh, some shooters additions uh, and some lineups uh, could change the situation, and they finally got their rhythm. For example, in the last four games uh, they were referred best in three-point uh, accuracy, 42% of uh, three-pointers they made. Um, they scored two-pointers at 62%, so the, the true shooting percentage in the last four games was the best in the EuroLeague, 65 which is incredible. They were first in assists, first in offensive uh, rating, and the thing about Fenerbahce is that the defense was always there uh, they were 5th best with the defensive rating before that winning streak and they remain 5th uh, remain best in, the, in terms of defensive rating uh, even during that uh, 4 game stretch uh, and what is interesting that we kind of underrate their defense because when we talk about teams like uh, Unix, Kazan, Olympiacos, uh, we emphasize a lot the defensive present presence. But at least in numbers, Fenerbahce was always at the same le- level. I, I checked some numbers and they kind of identical. So this team always had a defensive minded team identity and they finally started to make uh, some shots. And probably that's, that was the biggest okay. adjustment. Almost, uh, although I'm not so kind of, you know, always hype with this winning streak, because all these teams, they have their own problems, they're not in the best uh, uh, rhythm at the moment, so also, let's say, decent schedule uh, was always also involved in this uh, a- Actually,
1: when Actually, when you mentioned making shots in the last game against Bosconia, they were not making shots, to be honest, uh, except from the very beginning when Pierre Henry started the game with a couple of uh, free-pointers. They were not making shots, but the thing is, Nando De Colo had a career night in steals with six. And Basconia had Wade Baldwin and Lamar Peters playing, I have to say, crap basketball. Mm-hmm. It's as bad as it gets. Sometimes when, when it your, really goes w- ugly. When your point guards are playing like this. And Fenerbahce just taking balls away from them. Uh, Like I said, six steals for the Colo, 12 for the whole team. And it seemed like too easy for them in this game. But it's also their defense, of course. They won 75-53. They were not making shots. There were a lot of open jumpers missed in this game Mm. also. But they were always in control because of their defense and because of Bosconia's catastrophe. Mm. (laughs) I mean, Wade Baldwin in this game was a disaster. Uh, but I would like to say about Nando De Colo that I'm really glad to see him playing like he does right now. He is one of my favorite European players and he's 34 years old. You don't see any signs of him getting any older mm-hmm. in terms of basketball. He's still dominating games. Still, when the opponent opposing team is in the bonus situation, Nando De Colo will kill you. He will get those cheap points from the free throw line Consistently, and he's just so smart. Just he he's like he always sees like two plays ahead. Uh-huh. He's always two plays ahead yeah. of you. So, uh, I, I think for Sasha Georgievich to have Nando De Colo in the team is a treasure.
0: Uh uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, there are two things I want to talk about. The first one, one of the reasons why Nando De Colo is not having any, let's say age, uh, problems. Uh, he's not getting old on the court because he was always a true professional. I remember I had a conversation with Andre Vatutent and he told that th- we were talking about Ramona Cishkowskas, how professional he was, that he took every game uh, 100%, no matter if it was EuroLeague or VTB uh, League. Uh, his mentality was the same and the only... Player he could compare Shishkowskas to was exactly Nando De Colo and Milos Teodosic the same he told uh, for, to Alexander Georgievich that he was the true professional true example who can lead you uh, by the example so. There's no surprise that Nando, uh, it was logical why he was struggling in the beginning of the season. He had a long summer, last year he was also playing on a high level. So it's normal um, that you will have some slumps during the season and especially in the beginning of the season. But now he's getting back uh, in his shape. And the second uh, thing is that I don't remember who tweeted it. Maybe it was Malcolm Delaney again. Maybe it was Casey Rivers. But somebody told that we should stop uh, emphasizing age because nowadays uh, players are, um, kind of keeping the level of efficiency way longer than it was before because how bodies and physicality and you know all these technolo- technologies who can help you to, to extend your career are involved and it's way different than it was before. So we shouldn't rule out all these players uh, yeah, over 33 years. I, I, I agree
1: that it's kind of like three or four year advantage in comparison mm-hmm. to let's say last decade or, or even the 90s. When in the 90s you would see a guy who's 32 or 33 and you would be, you would be thinking that he's playing his last seasons in this level. Now, 34, 35 is not a problem. Uh, but still, Fernando de Colo, it's not a problem, not only because of this, that he's a super professional, he's taking care of himself, and he's taking his job very oh, seriously. It's the, he's it's the the way he's playing. He's not dependent on his speed. Mm. He's not dependent on his athletic abilities. He's dependent on his skills and, and IQ. his IQ. So those things only get better with it's experience. Like Simon, the best example. Yeah, one of those. But Nando De Colo is on a higher level, yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah. than Kronosimov. Simon, I'm but Kruno comparison Simon with their s- IQ and s- skill. Still being efficient, even though you don't seem very athletic or fast yeah. or strong. So I agree, I agree with that, yeah.
0: I'm personally happy for uh, Djordjevic, because if you remember, he was booed by Fenerbahce uh, fans after one of these uh, losses, and uh, the thing is that there was a lot of pressure on his shoulders uh, and a lot of especially uh, when he was booed a lot of expected that he will be changed he will be replaced by any other uh, head coach in the market but the thing is that that was never uh, in a conversation of uh, Fenerbahce's front office and I actually checked uh, Mauricio Gerardini's history with head coach uh, firings during the summer I couldn't find any I mean Gerardini works in basketball longer when I live, uh, actually, when I walk on this uh, earth, but... If I'm right, if I'm, correct me if, if I'm wrong, but he never fired the head coach during the season. Of course, it was easy when you had Jelko Bradovic. I mean, it's the last uh, guy to fire in your team during the, the season, but even in his Treviso years, even in his uh, first uh, uh, chapter of his career in, in Forli, uh, I guess, he never fired the head coach um, during the season. And I try to talk with people who know Mauricio Gerardini and he was always very patient with the head coach, and he always tried to think. Uh, he always tried to exclude the standings, the on-court results, trying to judge the head coach. And for him, it was always the most important if he, the head coach, is still driving the car, if he is still controlling the wheel of his uh, car by his leadership, by his uh, intelligence. Uh, intelligence and his communication with the players. And it looks like so far he was always lucky with his uh, head coach choices if he didn't have to fire anybody. I I wouldn't say lucky. Smart. he, He was smart. Smart and lucky. That's a combination of both things because even if you have a good coach, sometimes... Your locker room might just uh, turn their backs on your head coach, like it ha- happened in Monaco, and the coaching change uh, was. Uh, so um, don't sign players that go yeah, go against the that coach. Also, yeah. could you
1: imagine Decolo and Wesley going against their coach?
0: I, that I mean, coach really uh, unless it was a really, yeah, it, yeah, it would be a really bad coach. But uh, Fenerbahce wouldn't sign
1: a really bad coach. Well,
0: sometimes all these vets, all these leaders, c- have that feeling that okay. I mean, that coach is not a monster, but you can see that he just lost the team, the trust of his team. And it doesn't mean that you have to be very bad, you have to be very disciplined or, or, or something like that. Uh, but anyway, it was not the case for Mauricio Ghirardini, so nothing has changed, and I don't expect any changes in Fenerbahce. Now, they actually have
1: a very good opportunity to extend their winning streak because they're facing Asvel, and mm-hmm. Asville at the moment look like they're out of fuel. Um, of course, it's an away game, but Fernando De Colo, it's a game in France, so you should expect a big performance from him, and it's a good chance for them to grab another victory.
0: By the way, what do you think about the latest addition, who is not official yet uh, as of right now, Jahaive Floyd? He came because Fenerbahce has injury problems, not only Duvrioglu and uh, Booker, but Danilo Bartel is out uh, already for a lot of time, and from what I've heard, he will be out for way longer than all these uh, other guys because uh, Booker and Duverioglo are expected to come back in weeks. But Fenerbahce decided that he needed another center and yeah. Johaya Floyd asked Panathinaikos to be uh, released just to join Fenerbahce. What is interesting that they were looking at a different center. Uh, it was um, 25... Yeah, he's, he, he will turn 25... Uh, tomorrow, actually. Uh, he's Mike Kotsar, uh, second-year uh, European center from Estonia. He's playing for Hamburg, scoring 12 points and averaging four rebounds in 24 minutes. He had some nice games against Partizan, against uh, Andorra, Lokomotiv. Uh, and he was already uh, on the radars of some Euroleague teams. And uh, Fenerbahce wanted this guy who can, who is smart, who has a nice mid-range shot, although he he cannot shoot trees, at least uh, yet but he has some low post moves and it was the first target of Fenerbahce but Hamburg just didn't let him go so they they went for for Jihaiyev Floyd what what do you think about this uh, new newcomer
1: well you know my opinion i, I always said that uh, in in my idea Jan Vesely has to play as a center and you would need to have a stretch four so now, my expectation uh, would have been for Fenerbahce to sign somebody who can stretch the floor, particularly in the fourth position, uh, when now they're dealing with injuries and moving, uh, Vesely more to the fifth. But Akilja Polonara does his job in the fourth position. Uh, he had a very good game, actually, last week. Uh, so maybe it works for Georgia, which the way it is. And he just wanted a backup center to cover the minutes of Buker and Duverioglu right now. And in when they come back maybe fight for his position right uh, they also have danilo bartol on the injured players yeah, list
0: yeah. but yeah he's w- out for a and few months
1: let's be real probably he's not in georgievich's plans yeah. uh so jehay floyd from what i saw in the euroleague this season of he wasn't course he was successful w- with but he's playing with panathinaikos that are a losing team first of first of all but he's very athletic um, he's an undersized center with a very strong body, and he. I think he can be good on defense. He can be a good defensive potential. material. But offensively, I don't see any skills, nor playing back to the basket, nor facing the basket. He cannot spread the floor. He cannot shoot the basketball. He can just play pick and rolls and set some solid screens. But they are obviously signing him as a role player. He was playing ten minutes per game in Panathinaikos. I would say he w- he could get ten minutes per game in Fenerbahce right now would as a backup.
0: Would you rather go with Kenneth Forid, for example, because he also parted ways with Ceska? Now he's a free agent, and uh, between the rounds sixteen to eighteen, he could have been on on Fenerbahce team.
1: If Sasha Georgievich wants to play uh, more often, switch all defense then I would go with Jahi Floyd, mm. if that's the idea. Because Jahai Floyd fits the system better. Mm. Kenneth Farid, I think there, there would be some issues for him once again um, in defensive rotations, playing for a Euroleague coach, for a proper Euroleague coach. We saw in Dimitris Satudis' team, when the Tudis gave him some chances, Kenneth Farid really has had energy
0: mm-hmm. But it didn't seem like he knows what he's doing. Yeah, It didn't translate into efficiency on the court. Yeah, so
1: I, I I would say that Jahai Floyd is a better signing uh, because he fits the defensive system. Um, if it's the switch-all defense that they're expecting from him because he can do that. He's an undersized center, as I said, uh, 203 centimeters, very strong body. He can help the team. We're not talking about someone who comes to the team to be a game-changer. We're talking about someone who who's coming to help the team a little bit. I remember last year they actually also signed a senator, Kylo Quinn, uh, yeah. in, in the middle of the season, and it sort of worked for and them. Before
0: they had Johnny Hamilton. They
1: they like all these big bodies. Yeah. And, it, and the basket. in... in uh, Wow, I forgot his name. I, I just said it and I forgot. O'Brien. Kylo Quinn. Oh, Quinn. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't uh, thinking about O'Brien. Actually, Kylo Johnny O'Quinn. O'Brien would be yeah, nice yeah, yeah. addition. Johnny O'Brien, yeah. But uh, Kyle O'Quinn actually worked for them, for Fenerbahce. He mm-hmm. had some good games. He helped them make the playoffs. It was a decent signing. So if Jihai Floyd can provide some good minutes for them on defense,
0: why not? Do we have anything to add about Fenerbahce?
1: I'm um, not really. Yeah, I'm just saying that they should extend their winning streak to five, and they, they and and then they, they might they
0: finish the re- first part of the regular season with eight victories. Yeah, right? and
1: then they're starting the second part of the season with the game at home against Madrid, uh, where they should be extremely motivated. If you remember what happened when they faced each other in Spain, Fenerbahce had that game in their pocket, mm-hmm. and and they just lost it in the end, very unfortunately, because of an unsportsmanlike foul, a technical foul, uh-huh. and and uh, a missed open jumper in the last second, so um,
0: there should be a lot of motivation for them to get this win against Madrid. Last season, uh, I see Fenerbahce growing in the second part uh, of the regular season. I just checked uh, their situation last year because also they started the season uh, really bad. And after the first part of the regular season, they were with seven wins and ten losses, so they might be a, a little bit better. At the same time, the situation in the standings is, is better for Fenerbahce this year because we have a lot of teams uh, below the 50% of uh, winning percentage. Yeah, from ninth to 13th seed, we have f- five teams with seven wins. Uh, so yeah, it's not that bad at all for Fenerbahce. They're, they're progressing uh, with their game. And I see them much better in the second part of the season and they will—they might be top six uh, team in my eyes. Another thing,
1: maybe it's a little bit off topic, um, but it's still, it's about those winning teams that have uh, extended winning streaks. You know those uh, TV interviews post-game, uh, usually uh, when they are winning like five, six in a row, mm-hmm. they get questions like, uh, so how, how far can this go? Mm-hmm. How many games can you win? And the answer is always the same we're just taking it game by game, yeah. we're just taking it game by game. Do you think it's just players uh, acting professional in front of the camera and just saying the right stuff? Or do you think that if, if well, the player knows his schedule, right? Mm. They're on a winning streak, they're feeling happy, and they see, like, their next games are at home with Zalgiris and Asvel. Mm. Is it really taking game by game, or in, in their minds they're thinking... We definitely have I to
0: win the upcoming two or three games. I sincerely think that they take it game by game because I know some players that they really don't know who they are playing uh, against the next week because there are so many games. Right. So that makes them kind of confused. And we had so many examples this year that when we you thought that it's gonna be easy game for some team, and we had crazy. Turnaround events like Unix losing to Fenerbahce by forty and then winning against Milan by 30. So it's the level of unprod- unprodic-dib- unpredictability. unpredictability is so high uh, past few years that it's really hard to yeah. m- expect, you know, continuing winning streaks. And especially when you yeah. don't know who are playing against the next week. So I kind of feel them.
1: Yeah,
0: I think so. What is hard to feel is Ceska. And the, the way they were playing last uh, last week. Well, yes, they were playing
1: bad basketball, especially against Unix. But it was embarrassing basketball
0: against Unix. But, I man,
1: now we're going to talk about a team that they are in crisis when they won five of their last, last six games just because of a
0: single blowout. The game against Alba wasn't good also. It wasn't good, yeah, but it was a victory so <laughs> I, no. I, first of all I'm not saying that they're in crisis or they're in a huge trouble but that game is worth some discussion yeah, yeah. Well, so. but
1: it just shows you the level of expectations in this club in Moscow where yeah. we're losing is not tolerated this because they're the not in high. a bad they're not in a bad situation uh, in, if, if you look at the standings it's not like they're playing very bad basketball every week no they just had an off night, let's and say. they had
0: serious injury problems. And I think that they played their full squad only against three Zalgiris. games before against Ralgetis. Yeah. And, and
1: full squad, yes, but some players were really still not in, yeah. in good shape. So, first of all, uh, of course, we're going to be talking about Sky and maybe there are some
0: potential problems and how they w- can solve them. We must, because they, al- they were almost fined. <laughs> by their front office because of the performance. <laughs> yeah, That's so, so we will talk about yeah. that, of
1: course, but first and foremost, let's just give credit to Unix Kazan. Of course. They are w- maybe the hottest team in Europe right now the way they're playing, mm. with their the their, the level of their defense and also the way they are controlling offense with Lorenzo Brown as a floor general and the way my Mario Hezonia can light up uh, at any moment in a game. So... They were just a much better team in, in, in this game. We know that in the 2 this era, CSKA is sort of a team that is, um, they're like masters in uh, exposing mismatches on the court. They always find a mismatch and mm-hmm. they go through that mismatch ev- uh, for 40 minutes maybe even. Uh, but in this game, they just couldn't find any mismatches. That this is how good... Unix was on defense, rotating, helping each other, changing. They played the a switch-all defense, but it's when we talk about switch-all defense, it's, it's not as simple as there's a screen and you switch. Uh-huh. There's the idea of how you switch and how you rotate. If someone's in the paint, you can rotate to the weak side and the other guy goes down. And this is what Unix Kazan does very well. And this is what actually put Saskia out of their comfort zone they just couldn't play their basketball in the post which they're famous for because uh, they're playing in the post from almost a- any position whether it's Hakiat Clyburn Shingelia, uh, everybody plays f- plays in the post for them then they then they swing the ball and they go back to the spacing uh, so first of all it is just credit to Kazan for what they did in this game uh, they
0: were they were dominating yeah they're so incredible that uh, talking about all these mismatches that you might think that, for example, Isaiah Cannon is a mismatch because his his height is what's 180, 183. He's really something, sh- something short. like that, yeah. But he's so strong physically that even playing against Will Clyburn, he holds his ground so good that he not he's not a mismatch actually. Because he's so strong that it's not easy to pose him up uh, under the basket. And that's what uh, Will Clyburn faced. He had at least three plays in the first two or three quarters. And he couldn't do anything about Isaiah Cannon. That's how special uh, this team is. They hide. Perasovic, hides uh, OJ Mayo uh, really well. He could be a mismatch in the post, for example.
1: But OJ Mayo is proving, actually, that you can trust him. He can play some minutes. He can make shots. In this game
0: he played 13 minutes, scored 14 points. And the most important thing about OG Mayo is that we all knew that he can make shots and that he can be efficient piece of the team, but we all had all these questions about his personality, about his past and how he's going to adjust in Unix first and foremost, and then Kazan in Russia in winter, for example. But from what I've heard, he was a big surprise uh, to Unix on an organization. He shows a good leadership. He he sh- shares a good confidence in himself and his teammates. And he's a big part why they have a good chemistry yeah. in the locker room, which is uh, a little bit surprising. But it seems like, you know, he's already a matured player. He saw a lot. He went through a lot. And it seems like he had his best version of mentality, let's say, in in this Unix team.
1: On top of that, I would add that in this game, uh, Cescars really suffered because of their turnovers. They were punished by transition freeze. Cannon, Mayo, Hazonia had some shots. They just couldn't control them. And Mario Hazonia actually had a double-double which doesn't happen too often, but he had a double-double, 18 points and 10 rebounds, so a huge performance by the Croatian who was the MVP of that MVP that night mm. in this game, right? Uh, actually, we're not going to talk about Unix maybe in a lot of detail, but you yeah. saw like sort of a hangover game for them against Zalgiris afterwards mm. because they played against SK, maybe the, their best game of the season so yeah. far and then they went out against uh, the last team in the Euroleague and they had difficulties i would say overcoming themselves mm-hmm. yeah because it was 42-42 after three quarters and mario hazoni in a tv interview said that in the first half what we played it was not basketball it was a different sport if i was a coach i would uh, i would say that everybody has to go to training
0: right now immediately uh-huh. <laughs> he was so strict on himself Right. Yeah, and e- even though Unix made uh, 15 from 25 uh, three pointers, which is a crazy number, the thing is that they built their lead in the first half, with making I would say only seven threes. But the main thing is that they built the lead from their defense, and I was really surprised, guy, how they beat Sky badly in the transition because I think that even Etudes also told it um, told this in, in the press conference that they were practicing for the fast break situations for like three days. But the worst part uh, was that there were some plays where, for example, Lorenzo Browns get a defensive rebound. His head is already mm, watching forward who, who to pass the ball. And, for example, O.G. Mayer is already sprinting up the court. And says cup players, they were still like looking at basket, not moving at all, and not reacting. And for sure, that's an easy layup in, in two or, or three seconds. So I was really surprised by the approach of uh, CSKA players because for sure they knew that Unix I mean, they scored the most points in fast-break situations in all the Euroleague. And in scouting report, that was the main thing, which was emphasized uh, by Dimitris Soutoudis. But there was no effort. That that what surprised me the most. Yeah, and the reaction in the game… Uh, no physicality. They were mm, pushed out of all their uh, offensive uh, positions, uh, for example. They couldn't match Unix's physicality and they just destroyed uh, them. And then, of course, in the second half, Unix made some crazy shots from Lorenzo Brown, from Mario Hezonia, from uh, Cannon, for example. But the way they built that victory started with defense. And the reaction
1: in the game against Berlin was not as as good as expected, actually. Mm-hmm. Because after what happened here in Moscow, um, I was expecting to see CSKA players very angry. And I was expecting to see a blowout. Uh, that mm-hmm. Alba Berlin will get uh, beaten by a big scoreline. Uh, Alba was playing without their best player Luke Sigma in this game, so I was really expecting Saska to take a big victory, but actually it went till the very last seconds, and Modolo Law <sighs> made a lot of problems for Saska actually in this game. If you would watch Modolo Law, this German player. Only in some games where he's good and you would not see those games where he's inconsistent and, and his decision-making is questionable, mm-hmm. you would be thinking, wow, this yeah. is an NBA material combo guard uh-huh. who is dominating games, who is so skilled and talented in making shots off the dribble. He hits six out of seven three-pointers in this game against Ska. So <laughs> that's the funny thing because in on some nights, Mo Law looks like an elite player. Mm-hmm. But on other nights, he just looks like a player you cannot trust. It's a funny thing. Maybe that's why he's playing in Alba Berlin and not in CSKA. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, CSKA really had difficulties on defense.
0: He allowed 73 yeah. points in three quarters. Yeah.
1: They were really poor on defense in perimeter especially because not only law was hitting shots, Marcos Eriksson, we know he's so good uh, off, off the stagger, taking those shots and... Cezca knew that, but they were punished a lot. Marcus Eriksson made five long-distance shots. So they just won this game, I would say, because of their quality that they have. Mm. They have better players than Alba, so eventually they got the victory because of some shots by Clyburn, some plays made by Johannes Voigtman. But
0: it was not a good performance for Sesca. And it's not that bad to win against Alba by a small margin. But the worst part was how they had that uh, victory because as, as you mentioned we expected um, some mental change in CSKA game after such a bad night against Unix watching that game it was really embarrassing and probably it was the si- um, most silent crowd in the EuroLeague uh, I saw uh, this season there were 3,000 people but you couldn't hear any voice in the second part of the uh, the, the game when Unix were more than up by 20 points uh, so at least I thought that the physicality, the level of aggressiveness will be way different in Berlin, but in the first half, uh, CSKA had nine defensive rebounds, Alba had nine offensive rebounds, uh, which was crazy, 73 points after three quarters, and um, they just won because of quality, not because and they were executing the game plan. And seven offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter yeah. by which it's, it's also a crazy uh, number that they helped w- them uh, to win that they game. They
1: were not executing the game plan at all. Like and w-
0: Probably that's the reaction which Ceska front office didn't expect because I think that it was before that game when the Emiliano Carcia. Uh, Mm, reported that uh, it says KMOSCO may fine coaches and players 10% 10 of their monthly compensation for January because of their performance against uh, UNIX, which is weird to hear nowadays in in modern basketball (sighs) in in the EuroLeague and in the winning organization.
1: Well, I don't know what contracts they have. If it's in a contract that the employer um, has the ability to punish the employee by reducing his salary based on bas- bad performances. If there are some things like that That's in your contract... a, a bad contract. It's a bad really. contract, but if you signed it, mm. well, it's your problem. But I believe there, there are no, no things no. like that in their contract. <laughs> Especially in the League. So <laughs> reducing somebody's salary because he had a bad game, whether it's a player or a coach, it's unfair. And it's not only unfair in a moral sense, I would say it's unfair in the... I would say... It's also unfair according to law. Mm. Because if you have a contract, you get paid. And there's
0: nothing about fining people because they're losing games by 21 points. And especially when we have Elpa right now. Uh, I also think that Elpa helped a lot uh, in some situations to protect the players with all these tough practices the next morning after the um, heavy losses or with all these fines. And from what I've heard, uh, Ceska mm, wanted players themselves to sign the paper where they agree of getting fined. So <laughs> to no surprise, <laughs> these papers weren't signed. So from what I've heard, you know, they weren't fined because they should have fined themselves, actually, players themselves. (laughs) So that didn't happen.
1: Actually, Saskia with Vatutin and Etudis created an image of being a very professional, uh, strong organization and you're not thinking about Saskia anymore as this Soviet club with old methods of treating players and coaches and things like that, they're not good on your reputation because well, you you will want to sign players in the future, you will want to have a good roster every year, you will want to be winning games, but if agents and players will be talking about you, like, this is the club that finds players for having a bad game, mm. maybe some elite players that have the ability to choose and they have some offers on their table, Madrid, Barcelona, and Saskia will be thinking, this is the better environment for me because I know that... Uh, some of my colleagues in the past they had some crazy situations. So uh, um, it's not good that they try to do something like this. It's also not good for the, for, for them, the publicity
0: that uh, mm-hmm. this, uh, this mm-hmm. whole thing was exposed. I think that probably that was more of a warning to the players. And I think that this situation, this fine thing uh, shows two things that, you know, it didn't happen by accident. There, is, there should have been some history behind that. There There was maybe some tension, I don't know, even in the front office, uh, in the locker room, or, um, you know, there was some miscommunication between the, I don't know, owners uh, and the team. Because, as I said, Watutin was never known for, for uh, doing things uh, like that. So it should have been some outside uh, solution. Or it was a... I actually thought about the theory of, you know, Coach kind of knowing or like being behind this move just to make some warning to the players. Okay, it says that coaches and players got fine, but maybe this kind of warning was kind of uh, fought also with coaches because we know Itudis. He he, he's a motivational guy. Uh, all his motivational speeches, uh, all the methods uh, he has. Uh, he was never... Guy of you know punishments and things like that, but and again, I'm just speculating. But this whole situation was really weird because I don't know any championship team which had issues like that during the season. And you, if you put all these uh, things, it's it's not going well. To look good, in my opinion,
1: uh, unless it's a disciplinary issue.
0: Yeah, yeah. Unless it's if a the disciplinary team was issue. A party, yeah. Before if the game, so, some indivi- some
1: individuals uh, mm-hmm. went out of out of bounds, let's say, yeah. and and uh, that was a disciplinary issue, then you are fining and punishing yeah. and warning people. But if it's a basketball issue, in my opinion, punishing, warning, or fining doesn't solve anything. Only hard work can solve your problems in this case. However, still, let's not forget, we're talking about the team that won five games out of their last six it's just that there was such a dramatic reaction to a blowout. car not used to being trashed on the court by other teams. So when something like this happens, maybe they're in shock. Maybe the reactions in the front office are too dramatic. They're not used to this, but let's just leave the team with the Tutis and, and, and this roster and they're going to be good. I remember
0: with Tutin like a week or two ago, we had this interview and he told me that in December, he's not looking at standings. So I don't see any mental change in his head in one week. So I have this scenario in my mind. That was a home game. Maybe there were some big sponsors uh, or big people behind the club. That's Russian Derby, as and they were as em- embarrassed. The, uh, they were sitting in a VIP, and, and, and they oh kind God. of entered the front office and told that, "Hey, we have to do something. Let's it, punish them because that's shame. how we used to do <laughs> in it years uh, before." So maybe that's that's what actually happened, because with 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 Vatutin, with, with all this team we know for years, that's very uh, unlikely thing for for this Ceska organization.
1: Um. So. On Two more things about CSKA. Uh First of all, do you believe this could be to this
0: last season in, in Moscow? Seeing how it's going so far? I don't. Because I think he has a contract for two more years. I mean, for the next year uh, too. And a lot of depends on the coaching market. If we don't have any coach who could run this uh, yeah. project, there are, I'm no obviously
1: change. not raising the question mm. of firing Itudius during the no, season no, yeah, and yeah. replacing Making him with somebody, after I'm, I'm just thinking about after the season. Because not necessarily uh, from Ceska perspective, but from Itudius' personal, mm. uh, sometimes you look at him and you're thinking that maybe he's too tired working in this environment, and I'm just speculating, yeah. I don't know anything uh but for him if he, if he if he goes to the market right now there will be a lot of clubs w- wanting to sign him because because of
0: what he done in the, in the last eight years i mean every Euroleague league team should hire him but at the same time w- we have barcelona sholmes pablo lasso and real madrid no but i mean there will be some FS. openings but if there will be openings at the top clubs he can wait. Title contenders. He can wait. There's no problem in taking of a course. sabbatical year. Yeah. Zeljko Bradovic did that You, you can a spend that of year going to the NBA because yeah. he had some ideas. Uh, I could see that happening. I, I'm just thinking. But just I just thinking. think the way, you know, since we know this is a huge fighter, as a big ego, uh, for better or worse, I think he wouldn't like to step away from the team because he cannot win with that team. Or he's like... No,
1: and... Uh, in my opinion, it would not be because of winning or losing. Mm. It's just that if there are tensions inside a, inside mm. a club and the this uh, actually, when they lost in the Final Four a couple of years in a row, people were saying that he's on a hot seat. And I think working in the Sky is a lot of stress.
0: Uh, he's working there since 2014.
1: It is amazing that mm-hmm. a coach stays this long in a team that doesn't tolerate, uh, in a club that doesn't tolerate yeah. losing at all. Even in the regular season, they don't tolerate losing games, even in United League. So yeah, that's just one thing. And the other thing is, uh, Vatutin actually, uh, I saw his quote about Kevin Pangos. Mm -hmm. And he, he said that Kevin Pangos would be a huge improvement for this
0: team. Do you think this means that they are still hunting him? I doubt it, because it's more on Kevin Pangos. And I think he has this dream with him have that shot at NDB and NBA. The problem is that Cavaliers Cavaliers are winning. And or at least let's say they're better than everybody thought. Uh, Garland is having a great season. Rubio is uh, is great as always and they're not injured. Uh so probably Kevin has the feeling that in case something happens he will get that opportunity. And so far, at least, uh, I read his interview on uh, Hoops Hype. Uh, uh, and so far, at le- it seems like he's patient and he doesn't see any problem uh, in playing in the G League. Uh, and at least until the end of the season, he will be chasing that uh, dream. And so I don't see that uh, signing happening this year, maybe in summer, uh, who knows. But I think that he will stay in, in Cleveland. Mm-hmm.
1: Because if cesca would be hiring uh, a new point guard, it, it has to be an elite player. Of course, of course. And it's hard to come up with an o- another name right now. I
0: don't see any other elite. A
1: buyout player. from
0: another club, but who could that be? Pfft, not so sure. Who could afford losing a great point guard from the Euroleague teams? Not yeah, because, about because clubs.
1: R- let's remember last year when they needed to add some people uh, to their squad because of Mike James' situation. They couldn't sign some European superstar. They had to gamble with Difalumberg
0: Lundberg. Mm-hmm.
1: At that moment, it was a gamble. Let's, let's be leer, real, because he was playing in, in Polish team. Yeah, and Michael Eric also joined the team. Yeah, and Michael Eric season. also joined the team. So uh, I, I would say that if they cannot sign Kevin Pangos, they shouldn't sign some role player mm-hmm. because I agree. they already have a deep squad. Only an elite player could change uh-huh. something and, and improve the team. Adding another point guard just for the sake of it,
0: uh, I don't think it would be a smart move. Yeah. And I prefer to be patient. Um, I don't take it all these results in December seriously. They're still good in the standings. 10 wins, uh, 6 losses. Uh, top 7 team in the League only three, four wins away from, from the first uh, two places. They had their f- full squad for the first time two weeks uh, ago. They still need time to adjust new point guards because Ife Lundberg, Alexei Shved, they didn't play with Milutinov and Cengeli before. And I think that Saska's front line requires adjustment and a lot of adjustments. And actually that had this question that do you think that that kind of uh, front line can be successful and I'm talking about winning the yearly because it's a really heavy front line and sometimes I, I have questions in my mind if Shingelia is a great fit as a power forward next to Milutinov because mm-hmm. it, he's not a good shooter, he cannot spread the f- floor on the high level and it, it might create some spacing uh, problems uh, for this team. Yeah, it's
1: only Johannes Voigtman that fixes their spacing, actually. I had this question in my mind from the very beginning when they signed those players, because the best days uh, for Dimitris Estudis and CSKA were when they had Kyle Heinz and Otello Hunter as centers. And uh, also always having a player in the fourth position that stretches the floor and is able to shoot the basketball... And then in one summer, they went for something completely different by, by signing Milutinov and Shengelia. Uh, I think Milutinov is not a problem. Mm-hmm. He's a beast on the yeah. offensive boards. It's just about him staying healthy and getting back into shape. He looks out of shape right now, actually. In Berlin against Alba, you would expect him to dominate the boards and have a very good performance. But he ends up playing only seven minutes and... He just looked like a player out of the context in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everything's good with Nikola Milutinov. Shingelia, even though is, he's an elite basketball player, I would agree with your point uh, about spacing, about playing together with another big body. Tornike so Shingelia is at his best when the team is built around him. Mm-hmm. We saw that like in, 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 in Baskonia. In CSKA... In the very beginning, it was a struggle to find a role where he fits. Then you saw some good performances from him, but it's not a coincidence that his best performances come up when Milutinov is not playing. So it is what it is. Uh, I think Kyle Hines or Otello Hunter worked better for Dimitris Tsitoudis and, and and for their their team and the idea that they are trying to to play.
0: Yeah, the only hope for me is that uh, when both Schengeli and Milotinov were healthy uh, last season, and Milotinov got injured after the 20th uh, round, CSKA mo- uh, topped the Euroleague with fifteen wins and uh, five uh, losses. But they
1: also had Mike James, who was
0: playing. He was a game changer. Good from basketball the at the yeah. mo- at that moment. It was very actually efficient, Mike James. Yeah, Alexi Schwed. It has to be said, he's playing very good. Yeah, yeah, I have no problems with Alexei Shved. Although his uh, numbers were questioned in Russian media, I don't see any problem with this version of Alexei Shved. In Shred, the like. last five games, okay, you exclude the Unix game, even though his numbers are decent, 13
1: points, 3 out of 8, 3 pointers, but the team was horrible in that game, so you exclude this one, but in general, generally in the last five games, he was a leader. He was making shots, he was uh, dishing assists uh, to his teammates, and uh, in the game against Panathinaikos, he had 17 points, 13 assists. So, Alexis Šved is actually playing better than I expected mm-hmm. for Dimitri Šetudis. Yeah. I really thought that the damage was done for him playing in Himke, this nonsense basketball, for years, mm-hmm. and that he cannot go back to being a serious EuroLeague player. So you have to switch yeah. that way in But one he, is, he is a serious, good EuroLeague point guard right now. Yeah,
0: we actually had a uh, we had some questions after our latest YouTube urbanus uh, uh, episode, and one of them was from Atakan Atatsan Kural, um, connected with uh, Toko. He told that I think Toko is overrated. Even his physical strength, uh, he's not suitable for modern offensive strategy. He couldn't make three point shot. Also, Ataman lost Larkin to Ceska. Oh, that's based on your trade yeah, scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He couldn't resist to see Larkin with another jersey. Okay. Uh, but talking about Toko, I mean, it I'd still needs time for him to prove. I mean, I love Toko as a personality, the, what he brings on the court at the same time, but there's a the power forward in the EuroLeague, especially next to the center like Nicola Milutinov, I'm not so sure if that's a recipe for the I EuroLeague title. I
1: don't agree with the notion that he's overrated, but... I do believe that he is not in the best system for himself. Mm. And uh, the ability to stretch the floor, playing as a power forward is very important these days. Well, we're seeing, uh, let's say, Fenerbahce playing with Jan Vesely at four, and it's not a problem. It works. But then your center has to be like Devin Booker, at least, who can make some jump shots and he can play away from the basket. So Tornike Shengelia and Basconi, he was a superstar, he was a franchise player, there's no question about that. And I think in other situations, in other teams, he could still be that guy. It's just very difficult for him to be that guy in Sasky uh, in this in this particular team in this particular system. I, I'm actually not sure if this was um this idea that he needed Schengelia. Maybe it was more of the um, more the idea of the club. But wasn't but told
0: that all the signings were approved by Atudis. I mean, there okay. was any player who w- wasn't signed uh, without, let's say, informing Atudis or finding an agreement with Atudis that this player fits your system.
1: Well, maybe it is like that. But I remember that Skå were actually hunting Shingelia for quite a yes, while. Yeah. For a lot of years and they just couldn't sign him. He was always signing extensions with, with Baskonia. There's this I don't want to get too political but mm. Georgian Russian thing and mm-hmm. we know that shingelia has this condition that he has to play for the Georgian national team. So I'm not so sure that it was Itudi's idea to go from mm. playing with Heinz and Hunter at center and always having a stretch forward to then all of a sudden going big, it was actually strange to see that when Sky last won the, their championship, they w- started rebuilding the team immediately. Mm-hmm. They said farewells to Corey Higgins, to Nando De Colo, to Chacho Rodriguez, to probably Hunter, they wanted to Kyle to Hines. To the team.
0: Higgins, uh, all Chacho, of them? probably, all probably, of them. yeah, okay. So, you know. If you lose players like that, you need some change. It, it, but for but example, it's
1: just strange because we see like Anadol Efes, they won the championship. Now they're competing to win back-to-back with more or less the same roster. CSKA won the championship and rebuilded the team completely.
0: But yeah, probably, you know, all these players played in CSKA for so long and uh, most of these players uh, are getting at their... End of the peak, and probably they wanted to spend uh, all these last peak years at the, uh, let's say, in, in a warmer uh, environment, like uh, cities like Barcelona, maybe Istanbul. So. Because playing in in Moscow, especially, yeah, okay, it was before COVID uh, happened. But playing in Moscow is, is really exhausting. Uh, the pressure, the the all the um, climates, uh, traffic, this, uh, traffic, uh, everything. Although actually, actually, Moscow is underrated because a lot of good things, good restaurants, uh, mm-hmm. international schools. I mean... How uh, can the most expensive city in Europe be underrated? I'm not <laughs> so sure if Moscow is the most expensive city. When I go to Moscow, I kind of feel good
1: if no, money I spend. No, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about numbers. Maybe not the most expensive. Well, it is the most expensive actually city in, in, in Europe. Uh-huh. So I don't think it's underrated. I think it's quite properly rated. Okay,
0: <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Uh, the climate, yeah, well, that's a different story. I actually forgot my... What I wanted to say.
1: You were going through fan mail. So it was about Shingelia. We've discussed this. Yeah.
0: Okay, let's let's, let's jump to our last part of the, our podcast where we were dead wrong about some things. Yeah. And probably the main thing we were dead wrong was Unix Kazan... They're fifth seed at the moment, if I'm if I'm correct. Uh,
1: They're tied with Zenit, Ska and oh, yeah. Milan, but they are fourth standing fourth
0: because of their better and points you difference. Know, what pisses me off, actually, because I remember um, I wasn't a huge fan of Unix uh, this uh, summer and the moves they made. But when I saw the first games uh, of, of this season... I kind of felt better when I was talking publicly about them because I saw the size, I loved some lineups with huge bodies, with all these uh, switch scenarios uh, for Perasovic. And I remember you didn't like them a lot, actually, uh, with with some random Mm. players, with Coach Perasovic. And I, you know, and a lot of people, we're in fans, we're in favor of what Unix did. And sometimes it happens when you you kind of feel alone in not supporting the team, but liking some things. But when there are a lot of uh, people thinking way different, you kind of start uh, changing your opinion. So I was like, okay, probably, pro- probably they're not good. And the main thing where I was dead wrong was that we compared Monaco and Unix two Cup uh, finalists who invested a lot, who brought some big names like Hazonia and Mike James. And I remember saying that I think that I saw, I, I see way more potential building a better chemistry on the court in Monaco than in Unix. And it actually happened vice versa because now we see Monaco having huge chemistry issues both on the court and off the court. And uh, I remember saying that I see one of th- these two teams being in the top eight and our team failing uh, badly, and now it's what was happening with Monaco. And I thought that they will be in that, let's say, top eight team, or like they they might compete for the top eight. So, for sure, I was dead wrong. Uh, I think we were pretty wrong with Coach Perasovic. Uh, the thing is that we thought that he's on a hot seat from the day one of the season because. He, cha- he was changed so many times and uh, Kazan was never known as a place uh, where you can feel safe as a head coach. Although it changed a bit because we remember Priftis working in Unix for four years and I heard that it's also related to the fact that um, not the old Bogachev, but his son now is taking more responsibilities in the club and they have, let's say, way more modern thinking of how to build a team. They also have a sports director, Claudia Coldabella, with like, let's say, more Western approach. So they changing the image and they found the chemistry. Okay, which is uh, the same as always. He's all, uh, He was strict from the day one and um, all Unix uh, organization, you know, had this strict line from the day one but somehow all these different pieces all these questionable i don't know personalities uh, individual talent talents they fit so well uh, that i actually enjoy watching uh, this team i love the glue guy who is uh, john brown i love Ger- Gerald brantley who can defend positions uh, 1 to 5 and there are a lot of things to like about this team for example we remember lorenzo brown who was never known as a good playmaker for any team he played. I mean, he had numbers, but the main issue he had was not involving other uh, teammates uh, into a efficient winning team. Now we see him being a bit different in, in Kazan. So I know, it's, is it a perfect timing, a perfect combination, some some luck how this team managed to be that good? It's it's too early, but if we talk only about the first half of the season, they were really impressive. And we, we were that wrong about them?
1: Well, yeah, we both were wrong. I mean, you sort of expected what happened in Monaco to happen in Kazan mm-hmm. as well. Uh, the players they signed, it always seemed questionable when they were adding OJ Mayo on top of everything. Yanis uh, Well, it was just for a few weeks, but still. Um, and actually, my prediction in one of our Lithuanian podcasts before the season was that uh, uh, Two of the first coaches to be fired this season will be Dusko Ivanovic in Baskonia and Velimir Parasovic in in Kazan. So I was right about Dusko, but I couldn't have been any more wrong about Velimir Parasovic because you could say that he has an argument to be coach of the year with what he's doing so far because this team is brought from the Euro Cup and this is a completely new roster. Mm. It's not Barcelona or Real Madrid we're talking about. when they were coming to Euro League, you were expecting first of all to see them with Priftis and with more or less the similar roster they had in the Euro Cup, but they changed everything. There's just a couple of players that stayed, like Isaiah Cannon and John, John Brown. Brown yeah, um, and actually uh, after the first five games, they were one to four. They had this game in Istanbul with Fenerbahce.
0: 41-point performance, right?
1: And after five games, I was really thinking Mm. that my predictions were spot on with Mm. with Perasovic, with Dusko. But then they started winning games and they started playing the best defense in Europe right now. With all these American players playing the American way, I, I, I would say. Their hands are always up. They're always going for steals. They're always going into passing lanes. They're leading the league in steals. Um, And it's credit to Perasovic because when you're an old-school European coach and you have some sort of philosophy, uh, it's kind of hard to go away from that and start doing something new. Unix is playing very modern basketball on defense. On offense, they're good when they can run, when they have to play sets, five-on-five, I would say they're not as aesthetic. It's kind of hard to watch them in some moments, but they st- but they have the quality. They have the game changers like Hazonia and, uh, and Lorenzo Brown that can break any game. So yeah, we were dead wrong about Unix-Kazan. Uh, at the moment, I, I still wouldn't be saying that 100% they're making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You never yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. You never know what can happen. But if they can keep this level of basketball and if they can keep this
0: good chemistry they have right now, they are playoff material, for sure. And what I like about Unix the most, the way they're not just playing defense, but uh, as you already mentioned, this team is built uh, from American players. Mario Hezoni, okay, he's a Croatian, but he's playing the American style of basketball. And they have so many individual talents. But, uh, for example, we have Cervena Zvezda, uh, and this team is built for defense, physicality, and it's not surprising at all. It's uh, the Serbian it's way. It's Serbian way. Serbian DNA. But I think that this Unix team, from what I saw in the first round, uh, especially in the game against Moscow, against Sky in Moscow, there were some moments where I saw them being so passionate and happy about defensive plays that I don't really remember any, let's say, American-dominated team who would be so passionate about defense and being good at any defensive uh, possession. Really. The way this team was built,
1: first of all, you were thinking that's not a defensive team, yeah, yeah, that they be will be
0: running yeah, and gunning. Every time between <laughs> 90 to 100 points per game. Once again,
1: in our imagination, this roster should play like Monaco is playing. Mm-hmm. No defense at all. Then they go to Konus let's say, and they win because they have a lot of talent and they score 107 points because they can do that with these players. I think Unix with these players could also be Mm -hmm. playing that way. So it's just respect to the coach. Mm -hmm. He convinced these guys that if we want to win games in EuroLeague, we have to play this way. We have to put emphasis on defense. And the players believed in him. Because there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of potential for them to play run and gun and high-scoring basketball with a different coach. Imagine Rimos is coaching (laughs) this group of guys. Yeah, only Alexis Shod was missing. It would be pure entertainment. <laughs> they would be scoring a lot of points,
0: not necessarily winning a lot of yeah. games, right? Oh, and of course, Winix was on top of our lists uh, of uh, things we were wrong about uh, before the season. And I also have uh, Rokos Jokobaitis uh, on this list because I remember um, I was w- uh, one of these guys who said that Jokobaitis is doing a mistake right now, changing this. Comfortable situation in Jargris, changing his uh, starting point guard, shooting guard minutes, let's say 23, 25 minutes on the highest Euroleague uh, level uh, per game, and the clear situation in Jargris to uncertainty in Barcelona with uh, Nikolaitis, Corey Higgins, uh, La Provitola, and uh, Kuric uh, uh, on your lineup. And uh, now he's having, like, he's scoring seven points per game. He's, very, he's shooting the ball very efficiently, 59%, two-pointers, 53%, three-pointers, almost two rebounds per game, 3.5 assists per game. And especially without Kalaitis, he stepped up uh, helping his team win some important games. He scored nine points per game um, without Kalaitis in Barcelona, five assists per 22 minutes. He's playing decisive minutes for Barcelona against top opponents uh, like Milan, like CSK. Okay, uh, some of his de- decisions in the crunch time, some of his defensive uh, re- Reds, reads uh, are questionable, but it's very logical because he just turned out to, uh, to 21. Uh, and I'm really surprised. The role he got in Barcelona really surprised the impact he already made in this Barcelona team. And from what I've heard, that even Shadas uh, was amazed the way Jacobaitis contributes to, to this team. And I really didn't expect him to adapt to the high level the level so quickly in, in Barcelona in a winning team.
1: Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And uh, the situation when Nicolaitis and Corey Higgins got hurt, it was actually. Uh, Big opportunity for Rocas Jacobaitis and for Nicolas Loprovitola. And both of these guys, in this moment, are playing at elite level. Yeah, they're beating Real Madrid. You never knew Loprovitola as an elite point guard, for example. You could sim- see him as a role player, which he was in Madrid. But now, when there's no Caladius and there's no Higgins, he is unstoppable in some games. And Rocas Jacobaitis is just becoming this. Floor general type of point guard that controls the tempo and controls the game, and I'm really surprised that it's going so well for him in his first year in Barcelona. Because okay, he was going step by step. It was Alguers. Mm-hmm. He had a breakthrough season last year with Martin Schiller. Um, actually, playing more as a shooting guard, I would say. Um, he got drafted. It was a big night for for a young basketball player. Got drafted. So he's making a move, a big step in his career to Barcelona. So you're thinking, okay, maybe first year in Barcelona will be more difficult. In the second year, he might get better. Then in the third year, you could have a shot in the NBA being 23 years old. But it's happening so fast, the way he's playing and the way he's improving. I wouldn't rule out him going to the NBA next season. Why not? If the New York Knicks are up to it, the New York Knicks are actually... Struggling with point guards when Kemba Walker is not in their plans. Derrick Rose is a veteran and they have Alec Burks.
0: So it could be a quite good situation for Rokas Jakubaitis. Uh, I want I want him to stay in Barcelona, well, really. I want him to be the next guy. I, I even think that when Kalaitis' contract will be expiring, I'm not so sure if uh, Barcelona will be willing to extend him because maybe Jakubaitis will be already on that level. Uh, worth all these starting point guard uh, minutes. Well,
1: of course we want to see European stars shining bright in Europe. But it's what the player wants. And But
0: Rocas is uh, your league fan. But do you
1: think he doesn't want to try himself in the
0: NBA? But if you have a situation where you could be a starting point guard for Barcelona, your league title contenders, and you have that uncertainty again in the NBA, with the New York Knicks... I'm saying that there,
1: there's no rush. I'm not saying it necessarily has to happen next year, mm. next season, but it could
0: happen the way he's playing. Yeah, of course, potentially for sure. Yeah. But it depends a lot on what he will be uh, what he will be thinking about that, what he wants uh, from him. Well of course, maybe you win the Euro League this season and you feel like
1: it's your your journey is completed yeah, at yeah. the age of twenty one, so, twenty-two. Yeah. Right? But you could suffer a heartbreaking loss in the final Mm. and you're thinking, nah, I still have a lot of unfinished business here, so the NBA can wait, I still have my business in Europe. We'll see what happens, but I'm also very surprised. I wouldn't say I was that wrong because I was not really predicting anything Mm but I'm surprised about him
0: I just thought that he would be getting yeah. like 10 minutes per game his first uh, rookie season in Barcelona yeah.
1: what I was that wrong about though is Zenit actually another Russian team I imagine that there will be a lot more struggles for them playing without the main point guard and maybe I underestimated how smart Xavi Pascual is and how he can win basketball games without actually having the tools to do that I mean, there are some talented players. They have guys like Jordan Lloyd or Billy Baron, but they're winning because of their system, not because of some individual performances. Um, they're very good in the standings. They're tied with the other Russian teams, Kazan and, and Ceska, and they're still waiting for the main point guard. So I was saying that Zenit will not make the playoffs this season. Mm-hmm. Now it seems very unlikely that they would miss out on playoffs,
0: actually. Although this Shabazz Napier situation is so mysterious. They already. I'm not sure if it's official already, but they will be signing Tyson Carter from Lavria. Okay, he's a project. He's in, uh, He's far away from being the, your starting point guard. I I believe he will be good. I really feel bad that Jargiris didn't sign him because I know that Zdobz was really scouting uh, this guy. He was talking with a lot of people about him, but they decided to go with Ty Webster, which is to my, in my eyes is a huge mistake. I even prefer, uh, although I didn't like Emmanuel Moody, but watching... Webster playing now watching his role and how he's trying to contribute in this team. I really prefer waiting Emmanuel Moody one Ty month. Ty
1: Webster and Zoran Dragic. Uh, yeah. I eh. mean, two signings. They they were supposed to change something
0: for Jalgiris. I mean in in Jalgiris situation backcourt players' uh, role and position and uh, all all responsibilities. Um, I think that Webster signing was more important in a way how you can improve the team. Uh, but he's he's one of the last players to come <coughs> off the bench. And yeah. I don't see a lot of potential uh, because of his the way he reads some plays. He needs a lot of adjustment uh, to make. And I feel that in one month of all these uh, games, Moody didn't play because he left Jalgeris he would be much better player for, for Jalgris. He, he could have been, right been but... Uh, I mean, if, if Jalgris uh, sticks
1: with Schiller, probably Moudier is staying, and you're staying patient, and maybe something good happens, because we were always hearing that you have to wait at least until December. Moody will be better. Mm-hmm. But nobody was willing to wait until December. Paulus Motiunas uh, made uh, like immediate decisions, first of all, firing the coach, and when the coach was fired... You had a feeling that it's the
0: beginning of the end for Emmanuel Mudiay also in Konas. So, which leads one, one, one quick yeah. thing: uh, every, they weren't patient enough to wait until the end of December. They made some moves, and now they're three wins and thirteen losses. Was it fourth? <laughs> I'm not so sure. So, which brings <laughs> another another
1: topic where I was dead wrong. It w- it's actually the bottom of the Euro League. Um, yeah. I was saying about Aswell that they're growing uh, young players. They might not get good results. I was saying about Alba Berlin that they're very limited, although they are a nice team, but a very limited team. And I was saying that zalgiris is not looking good, blah, blah, blah. The roster is very questionable, but I was still thinking they're 16th. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that the ceiling might be like 10 victories. I was dead wrong because Asvel is much better than zalgiris and Alba Berlin is much, much better than zalgiris the way they're built and and the way they're playing. Yes, Asvel, well, uh, they had their run. Maybe right now they're getting back to the real level mm-hmm. wh- where they belong because Elio Kobo, well, he couldn't play like he did for the first five or six games. It's impossible to have these numbers being a young mm-hmm. player first year in the Euro League. But these teams still are w- way much better than Zalgiris. Zalgiris is by far the worst team I have seen. Uh, in this EuroLeague format, apart from last season's key. because mm-hmm. last season's Kimki it was a uh, misunderstanding, let's say, with financial crisis, players not getting their salaries, players leaving during the season, also COVID.
0: But the quality of basketball, Żalgiris. <sighs> I I also put Baskonia and Planikos at the same level. Really, they're be- but they're the- ugly. I, and Paul, maybe. that's the thing where I was wrong. I expected Boscona to be way better and to play way mm, at more attractive basketball than I see right now because there were so many ugly situations. Although they have some nice players like my Lithuanian <laughs> guys, uh, Gedraitis, Dekerskis. I like uh, Costello, uh, I like Fontecchio, uh, of course, but I like, I like Ranger, but they really need a point guard the real fl- guy who can share the ball. Yeah, yeah, they do, but I still rate them better than Zalgiris. Uh, right now, I'm
1: not even looking at their EuroLeague standings. They made the run they mm-hmm. were supposed to make in the Spanish League to make the Copa del Rey. They got those victories. They had some v- nice performances in, in, in the Spanish League. So if it's becoming their priority, well, there's mm-hmm. not much to talk about them in the EuroLeague. But for Zalgiris, well, EuroLeague is their season because the Lithuanian League, yeah. even with the bad roster and bad signings, they will win the Lithuanian League. Um, my question, f- maybe we're wrapping things up, but my mm-hmm. question well, about Zalgiris, since we're saying uh, what we were dead wrong about, I was dead wrong about actually being too optimistic about Zalgiris.
0: Uh-huh. I the was even th- way more optimistic. Yeah. I, I saw them in the 12th seed, oh my God. 13th oh seed. My God. Yeah, That's terrible.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> the level they're playing at right now, the team that they have right now, where would you see them in the Euro Cup?
0: That's what the question I expected when you yeah. started it. So I see them. What do you worse think they could, a- could achieve in the Euro Cup? Partizan, worse than uh, Valencia, worse than Virtus. So semifinals, maybe. Loco? Challenging no. semifinals. Oh, it would Loco. be a great uh, quarterfinal game against uh, Loco. They lost, lost bo- both games in the preseason. And I see them having a hard time against them.
1: I would say they're top eight
0: material. Yeah, with some luck, With some luck team. with some luck making the semis. Yeah. Yeah. That's the ceiling. I'm not confident about them making semifinals. No. That's that's really bad when we are talking about the Euroleague team.
1: Mistakes were made. I was always saying that the season is uh is buried already. I know we're hearing responses from Ralgiris players and Poland Matunas, no no no, we cannot bury the season. It's it's nonsense. Every game is important. Blah blah blah, but that's just stuff you're supposed to say. The season is hopeless, there's no way of saving it. Uh, and you always after a single game saying, I had a feeling we, we could win in Kazan, it was tight after the, after the third quarter. In Madrid, also, they, it was very tight mm. after three quarters. But you're seeing those games, and you're seeing mm. that this team has so much quality in their mm. reserve. They will go for it and they will use it in the fourth quarter and they will win it. And Zalgir is, well, come on. Mm. So Doffs, I don't know if he's a big believer. If the, those things that he's saying, that he actually believes in them. He when he when he said after one game, I don't want us to be just a home team. We now need to go on the road and prove it. Prove what? <laughs> on what road can you win? <laughs> they won three games. At home, okay, there could have been four because the game against Monaco was winnable, but it doesn't change much. It's it's a fact that Pau and Ralgiris are the worst teams in the EuroLeague right now. With Panathinaikos actually having some better individual players that, that can win really. games. Yeah, but with Daryl Macon and Nemanja Nedovic, yeah. if they get hot, they can win a game and they, get, they can surprise you. There is potential. Actually, uh, we, we're going to have the Greek derby only against Pao. This is a game where standings don't matter. Uh-huh. This is a game that's going to be very interesting because Pao uh, beat them in the Greek league. Mm-hmm. So Olympiakos will be at home c- coming to get their re- revenge. One of the best games yeah. of the week, right? It's always the best game of the week when it's the Greek derby. Of course. It doesn't, it doesn't even matter if Panathinaikos is bad or Olympiakos is good. The standings. This derby is just special.
0: It's bigger than El Clasico in my opinion. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we also have uh, this week uh, Anadol FS against Servena Zvezda. It won't be easy uh, for FS uh, because uh, we know, we all know that Zvezda might hit really hard. Jarditis Hermanni won't happen. Alba Berlin against Monaco. Oof. It's, it's it's not going to be easy for Monaco. Uh, as it's well. gonna be entertaining. Barcelona. It's gonna be an open Kazan. game, and Barcelona, Barcelona Kazan are having almost game of the week uh, every week. Actually, it's gonna be exciting. Really, Zenit Maccabi. Uh, another uh, tough test uh, for for Sferopoulos because it seems like he's in a hot seat Bayern against Basconia, Panathinaikos Olympiakos as I mentioned Real Madrid Moscow uh, CSKA Moscow that will be a huge game and as well against uh, Fenerbahce but before the end uh, I have two questions from our fan mail related to Zalgris quick ones yeah um and the one question was... Uh, yeah, that was a trade scenario. Uh, in in this day, Zalgiris... Uh, who do you take? Blažević? Uh, Blažević or Motijunas? Blažević?
1: Motijunas is the worst defender in the Euroleague right now. The most attacked player on the court. Even Zalgiris attacked him. Um... I'm not saying anything about his skill set. He's definitely a very skilled big guy. But Marek Blažević is just a young, growing prospect who is a role player who is getting some minutes through his hard work. And it's okay. He does what he's supposed to be doing. If you bring in Donatas Motiejunas, you're also bringing him with a big contract which uh, doesn't allow you to sign some other players in other positions and right now I don't see Donatas Motiejunas being a key player for any Euroleague team. I'm sorry. And I, I love his talents but the way I mean what I see on defense I was I was expecting it before the season but I wasn't expecting it to be as bad as it is right now. I prefer
0: Motiejunas over uh, Blažević in a situation uh, where Zaligiris is a playoff team and they have <coughs> different uh, front line and Motunas could be a really nice piece with different centers. Right now, he's not a game changer uh, this season. Zaligiris needs some players with potential to build up for the next year, so I need to give uh, Marek uh, Blažević uh, more minutes to get uh, even more Better g- game uh, from him the next year, and I they need have to prepare him for the future. Yeah, and they have Josh Nebo
1: and Joffrey LaVerne coming back. I was never a fan of this
0: contract extension oh. with
1: Joffrey LaVerne, but still they have him. So yeah.
0: And what about Jargitis from Vidas? If we can go back in time, Jargitis head coach to Monaco Schiller, uh, Schiller for Mitrovic. I mean Mitrovic to Kona. Yeah, Schiller to Monaco.
1: For Monaco, it could work. Mitrovic to Zalgiris. I don't know, but then I would want Mitrovic to have a say in, in signings.
0: Mm. To have the ability that to That would build be a really the the game roster. changer because all these signings were terrible. Yeah,
1: because if Mitrovic comes in and you create an environment where he can build a team, he has proven that he can build a winning team. Uh, he brought Monaco from the Euro Cup. He had success there. He, he, he knows how to work with... Um, Smaller budget. So, if these are the conditions, then okay. But if it's this roster and Zvezdan Mitrovic, I'm sorry, I'm being very honest. With this roster, I don't care if it's Mitrovic, Phil Jackson, Rek Popovic, Eric Spolstra, Jessica whatever. (laughs) There is no
0: coach that is winning uh, games in EuroLeague with this roster. True, true. And because does also suggests uh, Schiller plus Moudier uh, for Sferopoulos. I mean... For sure. I would like to have... It's an it's unfair deal for Maccabi, actually. <laughs> from Zalgiris' standpoint, uh, I would love to see Sviropoulos. If but because, you know, you know, just to finish the season and to build a <laughs> new team, but you have Sviropoulos as your head coach, so it's a huge thing for the, for the future. If Sviropoulos
1: is willing to come to Kona's, I can go straight away to the airport, I can take his bags, I can lead him to to the hotel or to Zalgiris' arena... I can, can greet invite him. him to Christmas table. I can invite him to my Christmas table. I will provide him a very nice meal, his favorite drink. <laughs> if he's willing to coach Jalgiris. No herring wow. and bedding. <laughs>
0: wow, I mean, but I actually it's unrealistic right now. Uh I love Žalgiris but I actually wish Maccabi to fire him just to have a potential uh, possibility to sign him for <laughs> Jalgiris. Because I, I think that Feropoulos could be a right coach uh, for the organization looking at the fu- look future.
1: But it has to be a long term pl- project with a clear idea, a three year contract. Rebuilding this
0: roster completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could be great, yeah. I agree. And uh, one last question because Johannes, sorry for the pronunciation, moves probably. What's it spelled? Mm. <laughs> noobs, we gotta try and noobs, get this right Johannes it's hard it's is, is it German? probably okay. I think and he, I think he's a fan of our podcast because it's not the first time he's uh, putting a good comment and he has a question Yes, uh, maybe if it's an umload. Whatever. (laughs) whatever. How do you seek Nick uh, Weiler-Bob as a defensive player in the EuroLeague? Uh, Beyond Bayern supporters, we have the opinion that he's a top three or top five defensive player in the league. Probably the best guard defender in Europe. Would you agree with with that? And do you think that Bayern can resign him the next summer when his contract is up?
1: I think they can resign him because um, in the market, still, the numbers and the stats mean a lot. And I don't think that that his value is so high mm-hmm. that he would get some elite clubs offering him big contracts. So it it should be possible for Bayern to resign him. I agree in some extent about his defensive abilities. He's a very good uh, on-ball defender. But to name him as top three or top five in Europe is kind of difficult because we have some very strong examples. Mm-hmm. Let's say recently we haven't seen Jeffrey Taylor pl- playing a lot because of injuries, because of Pablo Lasso's rotations. But Jeffrey Taylor is defending like crazy. He's mm-hmm. like, wow, I, I could put him as the best, maybe even. And you can come up with more names Thomas on other Walker, teams. Thomas Walker, for example. Thomas Walker, Pierre Henry, when he wants Dana to. Daniel Hackett. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a tough. Nick Wheeler Bob is in this conversation. Yeah. So this already shows that he is very good. Um, he's a very good piece for Andrea Trincheri, I, I would say and if mm-hmm. Bayern can resign him I sh- I, I'd say sh- they should go for it.
0: and he had that ugly injury last year so I think that he still needs some time, his numbers dropped uh, he needs to be more efficient shooting from the beyond the arc but I like him, and especially for a team like Bayern.
1: It's good that they have enough talent uh, in this team that it not necessarily Whaler Bob needs to score a lot Uh, of course now they're dealing with Darren Hilliard's injury and uh, Casey River is still a newcomer but uh, Nick Whaler Bob you could call him an underrated player actually um, because of his abilities although now he had a good game on offense also with Servena Zvezda scoring 16 points so it's a very interesting question which shows that some people follow the EuroLeague and their own teams deeper than just Mm. Following the score lines and and stuff. Mm-hmm. If you see Nick whaler Bob and his defensive abilities, it means you're watching basketball properly. Yeah.
0: One la- uh, last one uh, because Pedro Sanchez is also pretty active uh, with giving his uh, giving his feedback. Uh, uh, about our podcast. So he has a question about Zvezda. Uh, our Hi guys, nice video. I wanted to bring up some topic of discussion that got me shaking my head this week. It was painful to see Zvezda players missing so many open looks to the point where it's just incredible, incredibly difficult uh, for them to compete. Are these players that bad at shooting trees? Is there any trade to be made? Uh, thanks for the answers, guys. Well, to start with, I think it, this team is not built uh, to be a good shooting team first and foremost I think yes and um,
1: I was commentating their game against Barcelona where they were fighting and they were in the races but they actually lost the game purely because they couldn't hit a shot there was a sequence in the very, uh, very end of the game they were down by 4 and he had offensive rebounds and 3 or 4 open jumpers in a row and they missed all of them. Uh, Yes, if you look at these players and their profiles, most of them are not known for shooting the basketball very well. Even the experienced Serbian guys like Markovic or Kalinic himself. Kalinic is a decent spot-up shooter, but he's he's not a sniper, let's say. Uh, But uh, one player is kind of disappointing me. Uh, It's Austin Hollins. He was a shooting guard for Zenit two years in a row, uh, shooting... uh, 40% 40% from three-point line. In Cervena he he's basically just a defender mm-hmm. and he's shooting 25.8%. So, he could do better, I, I think. Uh, but, it is a problem. It is a problem. It is why they're losing some games. But, The idea was to build a very strong physical team that could break other teams uh, with their defense. And knowing uh, their financial abilities, the budget that they have, seven and nine right now, 11th place is good. Yeah, It's acceptable, more than acceptable. Of course, of course.
0: uh, That's all, folks, right? Almost two hours of... it's it's Christmas that was good that was good so I hope you guys gonna enjoy your Christmas tables at the same time watching us talking about some basketball because I thought I think that there were some interesting things we discussed this time so Merry Christmas Merry Christmas and
1: see you next
0: week right before the new year one more time for some reason I thought about Ergen Ataman and his Christmas hat being a fake Santa Claus it could be nice. Turkish
1: teams are They're playing. They're celebrating. They're Christmas, playing of on Christmas. Anadolu yeah.
0: Efes, I believe, they are playing on Christmas. But that would yeah. be a great Christmas commercial in the year. Like. I
1: would pick Pablo Lasso. Because he can of grow. His he can grow a good beard. Mm. Put a Santa Claus hat on him, and he's a very joyful personality. Yeah, I just love when Pablo Lasso smiles. He, he looks so nice when he smiles and so sincere. So uh, if I had to pick a Santa from EuroLeague, Pablo Lasso.
0: Martin Chiller would be better Santa. Or he's uh, a Santa helper because he's <laughs> really short but very nice guy, <laughs> right? So, okay, Merry Christmas, everyone.
1: Yeah.